0: Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs. Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third year law students and internships to second year law students, along with leadership, training, and mentors. Journey to Esquire, the blog, provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. So, welcome, Season Two, Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, the founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc. Uh, the nonprofit corporation that runs Journey to Esquire, the podcast and our other great programs, Journey to Esquire, the scholarship and leadership program and Journey to Esquire, the blog. So visit www.journeytoesquire.com to find out more. I'm so excited today. We have Dr. Peter Christian Eigner, who is an historian of 20th century America. His first book explores the life and career of Daniel Patrick Moynihan as a view into the strains of American liberalism between the New Deal and the present century. He's also has published a lot of essays in The Nation, The Atlantic, and The New Republic. And you can check him out at the Gotham Center of New York City history. And he's here today because he helped to contribute to Journey to Esquire, the oral history project. So we shared snippets of that project in season one But before I started that program, um, I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do. So we're going to talk about that a little later. How Dr. Eigner got involved. So welcome, Dr. Eigner. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. I'm still trying to uh, get past the weirdness of Dr. Eigner.
0: Yeah, I know. I felt that way when I was a, became a lawyer. Everyone's like counselor, and you turn around like, who are you talking to? I'm, <laughs> I'm really like, oh, that's really me. Really I'm the lawyer. Really um, <laughs> so I forget, um, I forget regularly. I know. And then, you know, I'm a friend of yours. So it's, it is, it does feel weird to say Dr. Iger, but I love calling my friends, Dr. Mm-hmm. and Esquire, because I'm so proud of them. Um, and I'm looking forward to like the students in the program. You know, I'm like, I can't wait to call you counselor. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you do with the Gotham Center and, and, and what the Gotham Center is.
1: Sure so i'm the director at the gotham center for new york city history which is the only academic institution that's devoted to new york city history in the country we're 20 years old now it was founded uh, shortly after mike wallace our founder and first director published with edwin burroughs uh, the classic gotham history of new york to 1898 when the five boroughs became new york city Um, that was the first in what is now a trilogy that he's been working on Uh, But the institution was created at a time when there was a real need in the city to have some sort of organization that would network and support all the historians and folks working in public history, trying to raise awareness about New York City's really unparalleled contributions to the development of the country. So the Gotham Center is maybe the one place where we don't shy away from saying New York City you know it's not the center of the world but you know is is from a just an objectively historical perspective um uh, we often say that new york city is the best lens on which to look at american development we have uh, live events and we uh we do k-12 programming as well we are working on online classes right now we are um uh, we're, we're set to do walking tours this summer until Uh, events uh, overtook us uh, uh, and then we blogs and podcasts and the like and we're working on our first tourism app and um, uh, and then we have a bunch of research programs as well so workshops seminars um, research grants writing fellowships etc.
0: Great. Well, I, two things we're learning. You're really busy. <laughs> and
1: you you're based that. In- <laughs> you knew that. Yes.
0: <laughs> you're based in New York City. So you and I went to college together at Fordham University. That's where we met both New Yorkers, um, but I ventured off into Florida. And so now I'm in the Tampa Bay area where Diversity Access Pipeline Inc. is um, based. And so talk to us about how, you know, a New York City historian becomes interested in an oral history project about lawyers in Tampa Bay. So I became interested because, you know, I majored in African-American studies and you majored in history in college. I've never lost my love of history and particularly African-American history. And so after I became a lawyer, I started to interact with all of um, these lawyers who were still practicing, not just still alive, but still practicing who were the first woman Black lawyer in hillsborough county pasco county and other parts of florida she's actually now the longest practicing um, black woman in florida over mm-hmm. 50 years and um you know the first black man who was hired in the pd's office who was allowed into to join the democratic party in any kind of um the local you know leadership and establishment yeah. um and so I'm kind of like, wait, you know, I hear these stories and I feel like we need to capture them because they're not really yeah. captured in a way um, that I felt like they should be. There are, you know, snippets here and there. They have all these events where they speak. No one's recording. And I'm kind of like, hey, we got to yeah. capture these things. So I come to you, you know, I'm like, who do I know is a historian? And you pop into my head. So <laughs> I reach out to you. I tell you about this project. And, and what do you tell me?
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, and there's and there's a really interesting um, legal history uh, in Florida in this period dealing with civil rights um, that involves, you know, big figures like Thurgood Marshall and, and, and the like, um, which is not my area, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, the, the Gotham Center has at times considered doing various oral history projects, and our conversation got me thinking really about the new york scene there was until recently this impression that the civil rights movement begins with rosa parks and ends with the civil rights act or the voting rights act um and that was the the sweep of things it was a southern story um and it was about a particular set of uh de jure uh jim crow laws um that are overturned but um you know, historians have long rejected that um, uh, by now, you know, like for a generation have rejected that uh, argument and that whole sort of way of thinking about the period and really sort of expanded our understanding of what we would define sort of discreetly um, as a um, ETE, not EET, as a, um, uh, you know, the civil rights movement era in uh, American history and um, which really starts at you know with like the late 30s um, and the dramatic changes that take place within organizations like the NAACP and the Urban League um, and and runs you know depending on your your perspective historians uh, uh, have have many opinions and we and we differ with each other constantly um, uh, you know running through the early 70s or later so thought about uh, whether we might uh, do the same, which then got me realizing that the major sort of collections we have of oral history um, tend to sort of privilege, you know, which is sort of true across the board, trends to sort of privilege like the elites, mm-hmm. even in these grassroots, these very grassroots organizations. And so I think the work that you're doing is really, really important. Um, and I think that um, we, you know, as these people are retiring or leaving us, um, you know it's more important than ever to try to capture those stories and and um you know these people are living history and their stories are really important and they've been forgotten or neglected for too long so um so i got involved because uh, i just wanted to help out with a good project and um you know there's
0: uh uh yeah we, we learned something about new york city i know a lot and you know i haven't lived there I did get that sense that people thought all this, all the discrimination and the civil rights movement occurred in the South, but my lived experience told me otherwise. Um, and the NAACP obviously had headquarters in New York City. Thurgood Marshall went all over the South. And all three lawyers that we interviewed both said Thurgood Marshall inspired them to become an attorney which was so important to me because they saw someone who not only looked like them practicing law, but who was working on their behalf and mm-hmm. on the behalf of the Black community. And so now it, while stud, as students and um, law students and new attorneys look at their journey to Esquire and say, what, what do I really want to do with my life? They need role models to look towards. Mm-hmm. And so um these role models, I've you know, we've captured some of their stories. Some of them have more they want to say. So, um, but you know, if you want to find out more about the Journey to Esquire Oral History Project, you can go to the website, or you can go to season one and listen to the interviews and let us know what you think. So, uh, Dr. Agner has brought up a lot of things. New York City being at the center of um, the United States and being this lens through which we can see how lots of things affect. Americans and the world. Two things right now, right? The current crises we are in, uh, the global pandemic and the um police brutality protests, and kind of almost like a, a second civil rights movement is emerging. And so much of it is happening in New York City, so much of it is being reported from New York City. Everyone looks to um the governor and the mayor now to see how they're making decisions about a lot of these things and using it as almost a standard good or bad um, but that is something that's happening so talk to us about people are interested about learning more about the current state of affairs what um to just get better informed whether it's about Global pandemics, or about the civil rights movement, or treatment of um, Black people in America or people of color. G- generally speaking, what would you say um, the, the kind of sources they should be turning to?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, just briefly, I don't want to sort of um, uh, be uh, she's like, show, come across as like chauvinistic about the New York City thing, but you know, even though I'm the Gotham Center director. Um, but I mean, uh, this. History matters uh, exactly for the reason you stated before, but like good or bad, we sort of set the template. That was true with some of these uh, issues dealing with civil rights. It's been true for a whole wide range of other issues. Um, And so what happens in places like New York has this sort of knock-on effect, because it does historically have the the effect of sort of setting a bar um, too low or too, you know, I don't know about too high, but you know, um, it sets the bar to the question of how to sort of go about thinking about the moment and where to sort of look for resources um, uh, this is one of those this is one of those moments where um, I really regret how isolated academic research is. I said to my grandfather who reliably purchases every historical book on the New York Times uh, bestseller list that, you know, it's a vanishingly small number of books that end up in the Barnes and Nobles of the country um, when it comes to history. The vast majority of it is put out by academic presses for academic audiences, and hence the ivory tower metaphor. Um, uh, so there's a tremendous amount of research out there that, um, you know, it's not always well written. It's, you know, we we're, we're researchers and uh, uh, not writers necessarily. Um, but there's the tremendous amount of good information out there um, that I wish, you know, had a broader appeal. And sometimes it sort of gets through the cracks and, you know, there are certain journalists who are better than others or certain publications that are better than others and trying to get those studies out there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a vast subject. Um,
0: Yeah, and so a lot of people find it overwhelming. Where would you suggest that they start?
1: um, So... I have been recommending to the question of police brutality, I have been recommending that people look at a book by Alex Vitale called The End of Policing. Um, this is a short little primer put out by a CUNY professor who's a criminologist um, who has been engaged with this issue for a very, very long time. The point of the book really, it's, it's a primer, so it sort of deals with a lot of different aspects of this issue it's meant to sort of like summarize in a very publicly accessible way which is why I'm recommending it um, the different sort of features of this debate. but one of the things that I think is most useful about it is, is it um, it's not just the, it's not just understanding the problem and what's driving the problem that that could always use um, more light than heat it's it's um, the solutions that get put forward which, you know, when you take that long view, and you this comes across in Taylor's book as well, um, a lot of the things that are purported as solutions, whether, you know, uh, sincerely or not, by various actors, um, uh, whether consciously or not, um, have, you know, are not, they're not new, and they're not necessarily data-driven. Um, in fact, that's the, the main sort of, you know, value, I think, of Vitaly's book, is it, is it says a lot of these solutions actually just don't hold up um, on the metrics Mm -hmm. Um, and that there are ways to essentially sidestep what the people who are often involved in these protests are saying is the problem which is not just the sort of the end result of the brutality but also the context in which this thing constantly um, uh, happens this this this
0: violence constantly happens Um, okay and then for people who want even just more information they feel like they just woke up to these inequities. And like you said, they have a sense of it, but not how deep it goes, not how long it's been around. And they, they, they're realizing they really didn't learn a lot, even if they went all the way to college. <laughs> Most of other people's histories were just pretty much glossed over or ignored. Um, what do you recommend? Are there history resources? Are there things on your website, certain history books? Um, that they can just even like you said a primer because it is overwhelming so they just might want some context anything that you would recommend I
1: mean there are there it's a vast literature um uh it's necessarily vast because the history is so large um I mean it's um it's it's very strange to me that this resistance to understanding how large this um history is to our country. Um, uh, I don't know if I, if I, if there's one primer per se, I mean, I'm sure that some of the folks uh, listening will be familiar with books like um, The Half Has Never Been Told by Edward Baptiste or um, Sven Becker's History of Cotton. Um, uh, these are some of the more sort of popular, um, public facing uh, works that sort of deal with the history of slavery um, and its uh, role in the development of the economy. Um, uh, There are a tremendous number of books that deal with particular stories of people who are resisting. At all times in this history, there is resistance and there is really heroic acts of bravery that are that are hard to fathom. I think that my advice would be to um, read some of the um, uh, essays that are, that are being published in some of the more serious um, magazines out there and go to the source uh, and look beyond the New York Times bestseller list. So if you, you see a journalist quoting some uh, uh, scholar who's interesting to you, go to their homepage and look at their CV and look at their syllabus and who they teach, right? Because they won't be teaching themselves, they'll be teaching the leading persons in that field. Um, Go there. I mean, so much of our research is hidden behind paywalls and that's unfortunate, but there are ways to get to it. Uh, Part of that, one of those movements was scholars, historians rewriting this history that we had, this conventional history in the 1950s that was very elite focused on, you know, literally just a few um, dead white guys who were the diplomats and the politicians and the leaders of companies. And we knew almost nothing about the history of the vast majority of people in the country. And so what's happened since then, the last 50, 60 years, is, um, you know, uh, generations of historians, hundreds of scholars have gone out and written that history. And Zins was the first to sort of Um, present in a single sort of accessible narrative form a lot of that new history, or some of that, you know, and also some of the suppressed history. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's always been politics associated with history. It's always been a little bit of a dangerous profession. um, Mm -hmm. That's the public's concern. There are a lot of people that don't want to hear about what happened, but it happened.
0: Right, and so just like lawyers, we like to um go to the source material just like historians mm-hmm. we have to work on making our work accessible right because one of the things as lawyers particularly those who litigate going of juries have to do is translate all the stuff that's happening into a bite-sized chunk yep. that their audience can take in and make a decision about and so that's why i said let's find something accessible so we agree on zen as a primer just to it really is just oh this is in contrast to everything I learned up to this point. Yeah. Now that I know there's like a different side of this story, what else am I interested in? And then you can go yeah. from there. But my conversations with a lot of people and from what I see on social media is a complete um, just blindness <laughs> to the very long history of the, of um, oppression against certain groups and exclusion and um destruction because people are learning about Black Wall Street now and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, and the role police have played historically to present day, and they feel like a lot of people are being attacked. The problem is it just seems like it because it's the first time you're hearing all of it at the same time or realizing that this was occurring. Um, so yeah. when can, yeah. where can people get more information about you, your book, the Gotham Center? Cause you shared a lot of great information about New York city history. So for those people who are interested in that, but then also your book.
1: Right. So I'm, uh, writing a book, finishing up a book finally, um, after too many years, um, uh, uh, about, um, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan that, that, um, Uh, is about him, but also is really trying to use him as sort of Synecdoche to get a a larger history about um, liberalism in America between the New Deal and and the present. Um, uh, I should be finishing that up soon. I've published a few things, as you said at at the outset, um, they can get a a taste of um, some of that uh, research. um, And uh, I hope to be publishing a lot more soon. Uh, The day job has been um, very taxing, but very rewarding. Uh, And you can find out all about that work at GothamCenter.org. If you're interested in New York City history, we have a digital publication that publishes twice a week. We have over 500 articles, mostly original research that they can can search by category um, uh, uh, and theme uh, uh, to get a deep dive. We have podcasts and the like. Um, As I said, we're getting into the business of um, non-credit-bearing courses for the public, um, and all kinds of other programming that they can um, uh, find out about at the website.
0: So, okay. Um, and if
1: you have any questions, you're you're all welcome to email me there.
0: Oh, awesome! We get your email address too, so thank you. You might have just I shot just, yourself in the foot with that I one. I
1: asked the I asked the trolls to be kind.
0: That's okay. All. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Peter Christian Eigner, for joining us on Journey to Esquire, the podcast. For more information on our programs and to see the show notes, go to www.journeytoesquire.com. This podcast will be on YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other places where you can access your most popular and loved podcasts like ours. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.